This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And uh, Sam and I have been talking about what we wanted to do. We kind of left you hanging last week saying we're, we weren't exactly sure what we were going to come back with. But I think that one of the things that we've long wanted to do is to, uh, to get back into the book of Genesis and look at some of the things that are um, they're, they're stories like, for example, like we'll talk about today, the creation story. Um, they're stories that have been controversial, uh, that people have lots of different theories and descriptions and, and fancy sounding words for what they think is, has, what this means and what's happened. And, um, and it sometimes can be a little contentious and we just don't believe it has to be. So, uh, we figured we'd tackle some of these sort of apologetic topics. Is that, uh, have I set that up right, Sam? Do you think I've, is that about right? Yeah, I mean, partly. It's partly apologetic. It's partly how you read the scriptures. It's it's lots of things. And it's partly how we need to behave as believers to one another. That is true. And that's a that's really a key thing about this, because um, man's inhumanity to man is uh, pretty well on display the way that people seem to talk to each other these days. You don't have to go very far below the surface before people are being awfully mean and rude to each other. <laughs> uh, and that happens a lot, even, you know, within the church. Let me say up front, when, we, when we're talking about the creation story in Genesis, I just want to say as kind of a foundational thing, sort of a plank to, to build on, that the one thing that we all have to agree on in, in order to be orthodox and to not be completely opposed to the scriptures is that God created out of nothing. That is, the, mm-hmm. there's even a, what is it, ex nihilo? Ex nihilo? Ex nihilo, yeah. Ex, yeah, that's the out, out of, of nothing. nothing. So, um, and, and you're thinking, if you're hearing this, you're thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? Um, because that's really the, that's really the sort of foundational question, which is, where did everything come from? Now, there's other questions to go along with that, but, um, there's really only two possibilities, right? There's two possibilities that, mm-hmm. that God created everything or that everything just created itself. Everything just kind of happened or God created it. And, you know, over, over my lifetime, I've been a pretty scientific minded, skeptical sort of guy that wants evidence and that kind of thing. And I can tell you that either position that you come to is going to require faith. You're either going to have faith that God did what he said he did, or you're going to have to have an equal amount of faith in something incredibly random and Every bit as beyond our scientific understanding, this idea that one of them is a scientific way of looking at it and one of them is a religious way of looking at it. No, they're both religious. They're just different religions. One is the mm-hmm. religion of, of the God of the Bible, the religion that, that we ascribe to. And the other is you just find a way where it, that it has to have happened because obviously we know there is no God. So it has to have happened randomly. So so going back, I can remember back in the day when people would have conversations, and I was usually the antagonistic one, um, but I didn't really have answers. But the the argument always went something like this for somebody who was who was 
defending God, they would always say, okay, you believe that humanity came from this? Well, then where did that come from? And 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 you get in this endless loop where you're demanding you know, that there had to be something at the beginning. And the other side, and this goes all the way back to Aristotle, one of the most common arguments that comes out of people who want to deny the existence of God is this idea that, that matter is eternal, right? So, so we, we acknowledge, we know that one of us has to be eternal because there's really only three options. Either God created everything from nothing, everything has always existed, and therefore there's no need for God, right? Because it's always been here. Nothing had to make it. Right. Or it created itself out of nothing, which when you stop and think about that, that's just kind of <laughs> absurd. <laughs> I mean, it just makes no sense because right. – there's nothing. You right. know, we were t- we were talking before we went on the air. When we talk about nothing, we're not just talking about black space. You know, there's there's no space for the black to exist in. Right. There's there's no time <laughs> for the when this existed. Like nothing was there, and so the options then become for me, and and maybe you got a different perspective on this. That if if we acknowledge something has to be eternal. That it has to be God, and even science here lately um, has come to the conclusion that our universe absolutely had a beginning. Right, um, and that's from one of two things, and not to get too far into the weeds, uh, but we know that the universe is expanding, and so if you imagine in your mind an ex- you know kind of an explosion where everything is is moving outward from a central point, if you were to put that movie and rewind. You know, it comes back to the central point. And even uh, brilliant people like Stephen Hawking before he passed away uh, said, yeah, that's incontrovertible that there was a beginning and it's not going to just keep cycling through like there was a one-time beginning and we're on the way. And then the other one is the second law of thermodynamics, which says, you know, everything is constantly in this motion to lose energy. And so if you look at all the stars of in the sky, all the suns that ever existed, all of them are going to eventually burn out. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're gonna lose their gas. They're going to lose their heat. They're going to lose their order. And the same is true for everything on Earth. It's We're constantly in a state of decay. You build a building, and a thousand years it's going to be you know deteriorating. Your body's deteriorating. Everything that we build is deteriorating. So the question then becomes, if everything has always existed forever – <laughs> how much deterioration should we expect to to see in something that's existed infinitely? Right. You know, you would expect to see infinite deterioration. There would be no stars. There would be no sun. There would be no order. There would be nothing that any kind of energy or order in the universe. And so we know for a certainty that there had to have been a beginning. Really, all of the good science tells us that the universe isn't eternal, that it had mm-hmm. a beginning. And, you know, I mean, that was always one of the things that when you would be talking to somebody about, they're like, well, the universe has always been here. I'm like, so <clears throat> has the universe been like refilled with hydrogen at some point? And they're like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? And I'm like, well, because we know that stars burn hydrogen, right? It's the most common element in the universe. Yep, we know that. We know stars burn hydrogen. And when it burns hydrogen, what happens to it? The hydrogen, what? Goes away because it burns it. It becomes heat and light and energy okay so and then the hydrogen how do we get more how does the star keep burning and so then you kind of come back to okay well it had a beginning and this is i i've had this conversation with golly i don't know how many people um 
over time where, where I've said, I've asked him a question. I've said, look, one minute before the universe existed, 60 seconds before the universe existed, what was here? And they've said, well, you know, it was just, it was just empty space. And I'm like, no, because bef- one second before the universe existed, there was nothing. There was no space to fill. And, you know, and one popular theory <laughs> was that, well, what you had was you had a rupture in the fabric of the space-time continuum. <laughs> I'm like, well, you've been watching a lot of Star Trek and some quantum foam spilled out and then that created the universe. And I'm like, okay, well, again, let's come back to the fact that the, the foam spilled out into what? <laughs> there was no space. The levels of improbability here are are amazing. You know, I when I was growing up, there was this idea of the Big Bang Theory, and it wasn't just a, a really good comedy sitcom. It wasn't just a really good sitcom, but it was actually an actual theory that um, this universe, you know, exploded from a point of matter infinitely dense, and that it would expand and contract, and then ex- blow up again and expand and contract, and this would happen over and over and over again. That was the that was just an accepted thing in the 1960s and 70s when I was in school i was told that's how the universe came into being and i would be like where did the first where did the stuff come from though They're like what do you mean i'm like okay well so the well the stuff came from the the previous iteration it's it collapsed back in i'm like okay so that happened where did that stuff come from the previous one i'm like i don't <laughs> care how many of these you want to go back let's go back five gazillion iterations of this that's all fine first of all we've got a problem because eventually you're going to run out of hydrogen you're not making more hydrogen but let's that's beside the point go back you know however many of these you want and then tell me where the first infinitely dense point of matter came from it 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 cracks me up and i i I really don't mean for this to come across as derisive but richard dawkins who's you know one of the most outspoken atheists um, former professor of evolutionary biology at Oxford, he he was on a, a, a documentary that Ben Stein put together. Did you watch that? Yes, I did. Chance? I, I did. forget the name of it. But anyway, in there, he's talking about where life could have come from because he was kind of put into a corner where he had to acknowledge a source. And for him, it was not – it wasn't laughable to suggest that alien life forms transplanted life on Earth. And and you can go through. It's like you're, you're talking about statistical probabilities that that people who are you know in the scientific community, the statistical probabilities of, of so many different things that have to come together perfectly for life to emerge. I mean, there's all these factors of of you know the Earth being able to sustain life and what our gravity is and how fast we're or you know orbiting around the sun and you know the tilt of our axis and all these things. You know the distance of the moon. All these things have to be exactly perfect for life to sustain on earth and there's a guy uh, donald page who's actually at princeton he's a professor he went and put together what he believed all the odds were he actually studied under stephen hawking and and he came to the conclusion that just to sustain life we're not even talking about creating life but just to have all the conditions necessary to sustain life if it emerged from somewhere would be one out of a, a one with 124 zeros behind it. And and our brains can't process how small that is. One over a one with 124 zeros. So we know and and estimating, you know, the size of our known universe that there are 
one with 80 zeros behind it. That's how many atoms there are in the known universe. An atom you can't even see with your eyes. So all the moon, all the planets, all the star systems, the hundreds of billions of galaxies, all the atoms in the known universe are a one with 80 zeros behind it. So it would be like picking at random an atom out of the known universe correctly that had been pre-selected and doing that and then still having to go back and do it again. That's the kind of odds you're talking about. And so scientifically they'll say, yeah, it looks absolutely impossible. There's so much order and so much precision and so much, uh, you know, this perfect creation to sustain life that's that fantastical that you could randomly select atoms out of the universe correctly, that, that level of odds. And they'll, they have no problem with that. But the idea that there's a creator, a mind, or a designer behind this is laughable to them. And you really step back and you go, okay, which of these really is more laughable? That all of this emerged, you know, randomly with all of the properties that are just so absolutely perfect, so clearly designed to, to precision, to a degree that we can't even imagine really, or that there was a mind that thought this mm-hmm. and ordained it to be exactly as it is. It seems to me that it's it's unthinkable that all of this is random. There's mm-hmm. no way. The movie, by the way, was called Expelled. Yeah, that's right. That's <clears throat> right. Ben Stein and, and Richard Dawkins. You know, I, I, I've i actually read um, quite a few of the things that Richard Dawkins has written because, um, first of all, he is a brilliant man. He really is a brilliant man. He knows a lot about science and he knows mm-hmm. a lot about things. Um, but he's also a very angry man. Yes, he is. And um, when I when I read some of the things that he's written about religion and and Christians and religious people, it's like um, he perceives us almost like a virus on the earth. Like we're like we are a danger to life and should be exterminated. And when I read these kinds of things, I mean, just really strong, angry statements. Mm-hmm. All I hear is somebody who I, I just want to at some point, I just wanted to ask him who, what who did something bad to you at some point? Some somebody somewhere, you know, in the name of religion or the church or something must have done something. This is personal with him. It's not mm-hmm. just a it's not just a question of of science and what we're going to debate and what we're going to talk about and what we know or don't know. This is personal. It's like mm-hmm. he's just angry really yeah. angry all the time and that's really a difficult uh he's kind of hard to listen to frankly mm-hmm. i mean he really I agree. really gets that way and that that kind of an emotional response you know uh, to his own detriment takes away from his objectivity to be able to communicate anything right because it just becomes abundantly clear that no matter what evidence could be presented to him there's no way he would believe because it's viscerally emotional to him some people have had the, uh, have said uh, Stephen Hawking believed in intelligent design, and uh, and and then they they'll hold that up to say so Stephen Hawking believes that God created the universe, and and in defense of Professor no. Hawking, <laughs> he didn't go quite that far. Um, he did say, however, that the universe seemed, and his phrase was incredibly fine tuned to allow for the existence of life that it was that that he he saw this that you know all of the things that had to be exactly right and and he just said it really feels like it was just absolutely made to hold life so is that intelligent design 
um, you know, he wasn't willing to go that far. He says, well, of course we would observe it as being fine-tuned. Otherwise, if the, if it wasn't so finely tuned, we wouldn't be here to observe it. That was the, the response. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I thought about that you know, because I think that there's people that uh, listen to a conversation like this and they go, look, I understand that there's a lot of questions that, that – that can't be answered by science and theory and everything else. But this idea that, you know, that we're going to, that you're going to plug God in and that God is going to be the answer to everything. Um, I just can't, I can't, I can't buy that. I think if there's anything that I want people like that to understand is that you don't have to set aside. I, I don't, I'm not a person who says I disbelieve everything that science tells me. I'm perfectly comfortable with science as the observational study of the universe around us. I, mm-hmm. you know, if when I, I see, like the way the old the old scientists used to describe it, science is, is uh, thinking God's thoughts after him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it's it, it. I look at it and say, if if there is information, if there's evidence, if there's data. Um, that science observes, I want to know that because that helps me understand better how the world is and how the universe is and how things work. And if anything else, the more that I've learned throughout the course of my 60 years on this earth, and I don't pretend to be a biologist or or any kind of, of high-end scientist, but I think that I'm intelligent enough to understand just incredibly how compl- how complicated and complex life is and how... Um, just how amazing it is that we're here at all. Yeah. So one of the one of the last lectures that he gave uh, before his death, um, he said, that "I'll just read his comments." Mm-hmm. And he says, "The theory that the universe has existed forever is in serious difficulty with the second law of thermodynamics, which we discussed earlier." Right. He said, "The universe would be in a state of complete disorder by now." This kind of beginning, so now he's talking about there has to be a beginning, but listen to what he says. He says, this kind of beginning to the universe had to be imposed on the universe by some external agency. And, you know, he goes a different direction with it. He doesn't say, oh, it's the Bible, you know, we, right. we believe in, you know, Yahweh. But he recognizes that the universe had to come into existence by some sort of external agency. And that's fascinating. I mean, because that's, that's exactly what I believe. You right. know, that everything that you see and can observe right now had to come into existence by something outside of everything. And now you have to ask yourself the question of what's reasonable? Because if we're talking about something that is in this case when we say supernatural we simply mean beyond the natural universe so we're talking about something supernatural that and and even a great mind like stephen hawking says it has to be an external agency there needs to be something outside of what we see that acted upon it i'm like once that door is open i'm like why is it unreasonable to say that that there is this personal creator. I mean, it, it seems like people are perfectly willing to accept some sort of impersonal creator, mm-hmm. that there's this supernatural force that acted upon it. And I'm like, that's, that is something that you're comfortable with, but you're not comfortable with this idea that there is a, a, a being, a person, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it all kind of comes down to this. What's baked into us, Sam, what we, what we understand at some fundamental cellular level is that you get to control, you have some say and some control over the things that you create. Something that you make, it's, it's yours. 
because you made it. Mm-hmm. And if there is a creator and that creator is an intelligent being, if it's a person, if it's God, then the fact that there is a God and he created means that you have to answer to him in some respect because he owns you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's the part at which they're like, okay, I don't, I don't want to go there. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things I talked about when we were talking about doing this particular topic was I said, I wanted to reach out to my fellow science nerds <laughs> and huh. say that you don't, it, it's not unreasonable or, or unintelligent or without basis to say that this was done on purpose, that this was not random. Um, the one thing that I can tell you that I'm absolutely convinced of is that we're not here because of random chance. Mm-hmm. This didn't, and, and Stephen Hawking apparently would agree with us. This was, this is not all random. This didn't just happen. It's not by chance that we're here. So then we have to kind of take a step back and go, okay, well, if we kind of come to that point where we say that there's some external agency, then we, then that's where we go to Genesis one and we say, you know, what does the, all right, great. What does the Bible say that God did in terms of creation? One of the things that you, you can, you can back yourself into uh, some of the things that the Bible teaches, some of the attributes of God. So for example, if the universe is defined by time, space, and matter, which is generally an energy is thrown in later. But if, if the universe is defined as time, space, and matter, and, and the one who created all things had to be out, outside of that, you back yourself into some of the attributes that the Bible lifts up about God. He is eternal, which means he's beyond the constraints of time. He reigns in, in heaven in another dimension, which means that he's beyond the constraints of space. He's a spirit, which means he's beyond the bounds of matter. You look around and you wonder why would he create a world that has relationships, and so we think he must be a relational God, and the Bible comes to us and says that he's a triune God, that from eternity he's been in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the notion of relationship and and wanting to be in communication with creation, that's not a new thing for God because he's triune. So you can look at at the world the way that it's mapped out, and if you if you tried to to what is it, reverse engineer, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we look like, what must our God look like? Well, you come to conclusions like he must be eternal and he must reign in a different realm and he must be spirit and he must be loving, he must be in relationship, he must be a communicative God, he must be, and it's like, well, gee, that sounds an awful lot like the God of the Bible, but a lot of people who don't want to have that accountability like you talked about, you know, they don't want to say, I own my life, are quick to go at the you know, like the pantheistic route to say, well, we just believe that there's this divine energy that in, is infused in everything, and that's God, and that's how all this stuff works. And you run into some real problems with that. But the way that the world exists, the biblical God makes sense of it to me. It does. And I do think that when, when we come to Genesis chapter 1 and we look at the story of creation there, um, the thing that, uh, the other thing that I want to say is that, um, Genesis chapter one is not a, a scientific textbook on how you create a universe. Um, <laughs> that's not what God's intention was with, with Genesis. Um, you know, because, and I, and I, one of the things I need to point out is that if it is in fact a textbook as to, okay, you want to create your own universe, here's what you do. Well, 
it says that in the beginning, God created. Well, so the first thing that you have to be is God. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, so if I'm supposed to take Genesis and from it understand how to create a universe, um, first good. I have to be God. <laughs> yeah. Good, good luck working on that badge. Yeah. Good luck. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, and the second thing that I would say about Genesis is that, um, I believe that everything that Genesis tells us is true. I also believe that it's that Genesis tells us what God wanted us to know. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that it's telling us absolutely everything that God did and when he did it and how he did it? I don't think that that necessarily is true. I, I think that um, I think that we could become at some point when we're when we're in heaven and we're and and suddenly our knowledge is full and God can explain to you know, God will tell us how it was and we'll and we'll begin to see the majesty of his creation and his creative mind and powers, there will be things that will probably surprise you and I both. We'll be like, wow, I never, I never thought of that. That's great. You know, it's like, so I think there's things that, that, that didn't need to be communicated with respect to creation. So I think that what he told us was true and what he told us was what we needed to know. And, and there's something about the, just if you were to lay Genesis down, you know, if it was a scroll and you rolled the whole thing out, you know, it's 50 chapters long, and God spends just two giving us all the details that he wants us to know about creation. Right. And and it's a shame, honestly, that we spend so much time. I mean, I'm gonna, we're going to make the case in the next several episodes that the beginning is tremendously important. Genesis 1 to 3 is massively, massively important. But God gave us two chapters— on creation. He didn't go into all the details. He didn't give us, you know, specifics on how to explain everything that sometimes we have to kind of shrug and go, I don't know how that happened. But he spends from chapter 12 to chapter 50 talking about his covenant faithfulness to four generations of one family. And so what you pull out of the Bible is God is not so interested in making sure that we know how he did it. The Bible's extremely interested in making sure that we know why he did it. Yeah. I almost finished that sentence for you because I'm like, absolutely, that is the truth. You know, the, the, the why of creation is infinitely important. And we're going to hit that big next week. Yeah. The how of creation, not as important. Um, but I also don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm copping out. Um, I, the fact I, that Genesis, I don't mind copping out. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, the fact that the first two chapters of Genesis don't answer every question that I have does not disturb me in any way. It mm-hmm. doesn't bother me. I'm perfectly happy saying, I believe God created everything and I'm not sure exactly how long it took him and I'm not sure exactly, you know, how he did everything and when he did it. Um, you know, because, mm-hmm. because he's God and he can do things however he wants to do things. But what I can do then is I can go back and I can read it and I can find out that God is talking about the elements of his creation that he thought were good and how he saw it as good. And he talks about the, the, the basically the, the earth and the sky and the seas and the plants and the animals. And he looked over all of this and saw that it was good. And from that, I can take in the, I can look at you and say, God was the first environmentalist. God looked at the environment and said, it is good. And that, and, and that's one of the reasons why I say we probably shouldn't try to wreck it. On the other hand, God also said, I've put these things here for you. He said, mm-hmm. you know, that he wants you to go out and 
you know, that you're supposed to go and rule the earth and, 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 and do, and cultivate it and, and take from what's here as raw material and make things from it. So mm-hmm. I'm also perfectly comfortable saying God was the world's first industrialist. He was the one that was telling us, I've given you all these amazing raw materials and you should, what was the, what is his through the, uh, uh, fruitful and multiply? Be and fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue, subdue it. it. Right. And he didn't mean get it in a headlock and hold it down on the <laughs> wrestling mat and get the referee to count three. I mean, what he that means. That is what you think of when you hear subdue. That's, that's pretty true. The headlock comes to mind. Yeah. But what he's saying is that he, that he wants us to control it. He's saying that this world he's put here and he's put it here in part so that we can use it. That we can make use of it. And, mm-hmm. and so is God an environmentalist? Yes. Is God an industrialist? Yes. So what I'm, what I read from creation is it tells me something about God. It tells me something about his desires as a creator and as, and as my God. I learn things about him. I learn that, that people aren't random. That we're made in his image. That, that it was, that it's not like a thing of, well, you know, um, I just grew these, this, this thing this way because it helped me pick the low hanging fruit out of the trees or what. No, opposable thumbs were not random. <laughs> they were God's design, you know, because God expected us to be able to make use of things. So it's just, I see in the story of creation, I see this God who is purposeful, who has mm-hmm. created people who should be purposeful, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that, and that should fill our life with both hope and wonder and a desire to be, to be fruitful, you know, to be, yeah. to do things. So then when we do look at the creation story in Genesis, um, there are some ways of looking at it, um, and, 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 and they're different in their approach. Um, but there are some ways of looking at it, all of which the the theologians, the big the big brains in seminaries that that write these things out in great and excruciating detail for the systematic theology textbooks <laughs> um, would tell you are acceptable. They're orthodox. They're they're things that are compatible with uh, what we know of God and what we see of God in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the very common ones is when somebody talks about, well, how old is the earth? You have the the interpretations of what they call a gap uh, theory or the day age interpretation. Um, and I just want to say, let me just say up front, foundational principle here again. Every single one of these asks questions it can't answer. Every single one of them asks questions that it can't answer. I'm perfectly fine with that. If if you're uncomfortable with with not with having questions that can't be answered, then I'm I'm sorry, but I, I don't know how <laughs> Tune to help in you. next week. Uh, yeah, next week there's a bunch <laughs> of things we're going to talk about next week. So your gap theory people, folks that look at the the you know say, well, when the Earth is a couple you know several billion years old, how did that happen? Well, they would tell you that you know Genesis one one in the beginning God created heavens and the earth. Okay, that happened. Then it says, Genesis 1, 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, parentheses, for billions and billions of years, close parentheses. (laughs) Um, And then we go into verse 3 where it says, and God said, after billions and billions of years. So you're, you know, you're you're kind of, that's your classic gap theory. Yep, they're saying the six days of creation came at the end of that big gap. Right. Big time, Earth was here for a long time, getting old, mm-hmm. rocks were aging, um, you know, 
things were happening, but we don't know what things, and that's not really important because what we're focused on were these six days at the end of it. Yeah. Um, and and I just want to emphasize, like, and these aren't necessarily the the positions that Mark and I, but just to give you a, some understanding of what else is out there, and there are people who are far more brilliant than us and who love Jesus far more than us who hold to these different opinions, and so you have the gap. Uh, which is what we just talked about. There's another one that's called the day-age theory, and that's based on the idea that when the Bible talks about you know the first day, the second day, the third day, uh, the Hebrew word there is yom, and that that literally, and at parts in the Bible that's talking about a 24-hour day, and at other parts of the Bible it's talking about you know in the day of Moses or something like that. And it more means a stretch of time. We still use that in English, so we can kind of understand it. Back in the day, like at the, they're not like, what day? Was it August 23rd, <laughs> exactly. you know, 1942? <laughs> Back in you know? my day, Samuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what day? Yeah. So they would try to explain, you know, that, that those days are not necessarily 24-hour literal days. And so that comes into, you know, old earth creation and that introduces, again, questions that you have to try to figure out because, for example, when God created plants and when God created animals would be separated by millions and millions of years mm-hmm. if the day-age theory was correct. And, and so for that, you have to say, okay, so what we know is that animals depend upon plants and plants depend upon animals that's the mm-hmm. we understand that from science is that it's we're it's all symbiosis like we need it we need as animals we need plants mm-hmm. and plants need our carbon dioxide quite frankly our poop yeah. they need things to fertilize you know it's like so yeah. there's insects to yes. pollinate yeah so all these things are interdependent so so when somebody tells me that i say to them okay so you're telling me that God couldn't have created in 24 hours because that's too miraculous. So instead, what you're going to tell me is that God miraculously preserved the plants by themselves for millions of years before he created the insects to pollinate and the, and the animal. There's which, mir- either way, there's a miracle. Do? Yes, yeah, exactly. Either way, there's a miracle. There are miraculous things that are happening <laughs> yep. here. We're not exactly sure where you want to plant your flag. Um, if you're somebody that goes, hey, you know what? The day could be a day, 24 hours. It could be millions and millions of years. Okay. There's questions about that. There's questions about the gap theory. Um, there's questions about the literal six 24-hour day thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, what do you do with the fact that things appear to be old? Well, you can get into the, well, God created Adam, right, as a as a fully grown mm-hmm. person, not as yeah. an infant. Um, if he was an infant, or if he if he was an embryo, where was the embryo? Like, so he had to have been made as an adult. Absolutely, God created tree, an adult. The trees don't start as seeds. The fish don't start as eggs. You know, like he makes everything with that appearance of age. But then you get. We talked about this before the the apparent age of fossils or right. star starlight or whatever. What do you do with that? And so right. there has to be some kind of miraculous means by which God makes it appear like it's old. You know, if, if we know that stars are billions of light years away from us and yet we're seeing the light from them that have taken billions of years to get to us, the natural conclusion that we say is, well, it must be that old, but God very well could have made that light in motion, meeting our eyes at that moment just for our sake, which, he, you know, he could he's, have. 
which would be nice. He could have. He also he also could have made those stars when he made the heavens and the earth. And while we were formless and void, and and in that parentheses, billions and billions of years, the light could have been on its way here. Mm-hmm. Either one of those would be okay, you know, in, in terms of understanding this. It's and I, by the way, like just so you know. I land on the more conservative approach to Genesis. You know, when I read it, I tend to think like I. But like you said, I wouldn't be shocked if I get to heaven and God went, "You were way off." Yeah. You know, this is what I meant. Like, I'm not going to be devastated there. Right. You know, because I do think, you know, I totally, I totally embrace Genesis one and two as true as what it's communicating to me. How exactly right. he did it, I don't die on that hill. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing that, and again, we, we said that at the beginning. We, I guess we should repeat it several times. Everything that Genesis tells you is true. Um, and, and it's just this question of, does it tell you absolutely everything about how God worked all these things? Mm-hmm. No, not, not necessarily. Um, you know, because the, there are some questions, you know, and, and I probably would say that I fall more on the, the, the side of the old earth gap theory crowd mm-hmm. you know i think that if the earth appears to be several billions years old it probably is and so when i read genesis i read it with that understanding and i don't have any problem with it i yeah. i you know um this is not something that determines this is not a salvation issue it is not jesus does not turn to the thief on the cross and say okay before i give you my answer you know the thief <laughs> says remember me when you come into your kingdom jesus doesn't look and say all right which one are you yeah. you know literal, literal literal day day age framework where are you yeah like, no, he says, you know, because you've put your trust in me, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, it has huge ramifications. If you look at Genesis and say, this is garbage, and it's fables, and I don't put my trust in it, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, because if, you, if, <laughs> if we start picking and choosing and undermining truth, then we have a real problem. I would say to you that the, one of the theories that I reject based on what Genesis say is this is me speaking personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, but I reject this idea of theistic evolution. Me um, too. Uh, because I just don't see where God says, and I made things that someday would become plants, and I made certain kind of animals that someday would become other animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing that I see in the scientific record. There's nothing that I understand about evolution, which, by the way, let me just say, evolution is a scientific fact. It simply means change over time. That's what evolution means. And we've observed that. We were Before we turned on the microphones, uh, Sam and I were talking about uh, a trip I took to St. Augustine, and, and which, I, which, by the way, I recommend if you've never been to St. Augustine, Florida. That's a great town. It was you know, founded in 1565, very, very ancient Spanish forts, and just really cool stuff there. I loved going to St. Augustine, stayed in the bed and breakfast. It was very cool. So part of the thing there is we, we were going on a tour and a little carriage-driven thing, and we were going past this rock wall that was actually carved from coral. It was just super cool. And uh, there was this little tiny opening. And the guy said, that's the door. And I said, it's not much of a door. And he said, oh, well, the average height of a Spanish conquistador is between five foot one and five foot three. And and of course, the average height of people today is quite a few inches taller than that. I'm not sure. It used to be like five foot ten for guys or something like Mm -hmm. that. I, I don't know where it is, but it's taller than that. Now, does that, do I believe that that means that man has evolved? Yes, I do. I think that that means we've changed. Generally, we're taller. Well, why? Well, because in 1565, the nutrition wasn't as good, didn't have as much clean water, safe food, medical care wasn't as good. Today, we have all those benefits. So those things have, have 
influenced and we tend to grow taller because we're healthier from a younger age and we've got better food and so forth. Does that mean that suddenly we're not humans or that they weren't humans? No, no, not at all. It doesn't. So evolution just means change. And I'm perfectly fine with that. But this idea, when we talk about theistic evolution, the concept there is that is that God created the earth with sort of these very simple life forms on it that randomly and over time with a nudge from God at whenever it needed it, God kept it on the track, but basically it cooked itself and we have what we have today. Yeah. Changing species and right. All that. There is nothing that I have ever understood about the way that evolution works within species that tells me that there's ever been one species that has become another species Unless you take into account the fact that scientists just dis- – who's the arbiter of what a species yeah. is? It's the guys that are telling you that species change from one to another. When do they change? Well, when we decide that this horse is a different kind of horse, <laughs> then it's a different species. Um, you know, I, I, the, I talked about the on the wall of the biology or the science classroom when I was a kid back in the 70s. We'd have this chart that showed the evolution of horses. And it basically went from a very small horse-like creature to a very large horse-like creature. And I'm like, they're all horses. And they're like, no, 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 no. This isn't a horse. This is a this is a prehistoric horse. This is a, whatever Throw name out it was. Some Latin name, right? And I'm like, okay, but it's a horse. I could ride that. You know, it's like so. This, this is a Horsicus Rex. Yeah, and this is a Horsicus Minimus. Right. And and I understand that the people that that embrace this theistic evolution that they're doing that because they want very much to be able to feel like science and the Bible exist in this perfect harmony and this and everything is fully explained and everything. The problem is, it's like I don't see any reason that that has to be. There's nothing about science to me that challenges the Bible. There are things that when I look at the world around me and I understand facts about the world around me and I look at the creation story. I may think one way or another about, but it doesn't, there's never been anything that I've ever seen that has suggested to me that, that one form of life has become a different form of life, a different species. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that God created the things that we basically have today. Are we taller, shorter, different color, different? Yes. We, you know, do I think that Adam was tall? I don't know. Uh, you know, people lived an awful long time on the on the other side of the flood. Um, why is that? Again, I don't know. There's a lot of theories. People talk about the fact that the earth was was surrounded in some kind of greenhouse effect and that uh, there had never been rain before the, the time of the flood. God caused it to rain. That was the first time. And, and in doing so, he got rid of this cloud covering over the earth that was protecting us from solar radiation. Mm-hmm. That's that's a theory. It might be right. I don't know. But I, what I do know is the Bible says that people lived for a really long time on, on the other side of the flood and lifespans became shorter over here. But I also heard God say, I'm going to limit their lifespan. Mm-hmm. So how did, you know, again, what's, what ha, what's orthodox about that? What we have to believe is that God said he was going to fix it, change it so that man didn't live as long. And that's what happened. Now, how did he do that? Did he get rid of this cloud cover, Sam? Did he do it? We don't know exactly. That's all reading into the story. What you and I have to agree on is that when God said, I'm going to limit the days of man, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. That God said something and it came to pass. So if we can agree on that, exa- I how he did it is going to be really kind of cool. Now, you can have a theory. That's fine. 
and you can have all your but there's nothing about Genesis that tells me that I have to somehow help God. You know, he he when he says that he created the plants and the animals, he created the plants and the animals. He didn't need my help. He didn't need to create an amoeba, you know, mm. and and have that show along. There's actually a couple of geneticists who came out with a pretty interesting theory on on the whole drop in age. So when we get to the flood, we'll t- when we get to the flood episode, we'll talk about that. It's it's really pretty pretty interesting how it, some of the theories come together. But again, there are sure, theories. There are theories, and and they may be correct, but they also may not be. God may God may have just done it supernaturally, or it may be a natural consequence of some change he made to the environment. We'll mm-hmm. you know someday we will know the answer to that question. <laughs> so so we've hit on the gap theory. We hit, we hit we've hit day on age. day age. We hit the literal calendar day theory. Right. Literal calendar day is from. Sunday to Saturday, or from Monday 24 to... 24-hour days. Yeah, yep. basically. Six 24-hour days, and then he rested. Correct. So then you come across the framework, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more next week, but framework theory basically says that Genesis 1 was constructed with so much structure to it that God is more interested in presenting the structure than the chronology. And in other words, they might be not exactly in order, but God is going to deliver to you kind of the structure um, and so I'll, I'll give you an example of this. On day one, we're told that God creates light. Three days later, he's going to create the sun, moon, and stars, which not accidentally are the sources of what? Light. light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then on day two, he creates the sky and the seas. And three days later, you get birds and fish, the things that live in the sky and the seas. And then on day three, he makes land or he divides the water so that land emerges and vegetation comes forth on day three. Well, three days later comes the things that are going to find a sanctuary on the land and that are going to be dependent on that vegetation, which is going to be the the animals and mankind. And hidden in that structure, I mean, I'm only touching the surface of some of the beauties of the structure of the way that Genesis 1 is put together. Um, in that, some really, really cool um, kind of God's sovereign poetry going on. And so Framework comes along and says, look, it's the structure that's more important than the literal layout or the, the chronology and all of that stuff. And so that's another theory, and there's brilliant people who, who jump on, on Framework. That's uh, Pastor Tom. That's his He's a framework he? guy. He is a framework guy. I know he's guy. also he's told me before that he's he's sides on literal too. So maybe he's maybe he's got both of them running on the same. What you could, it's totally it, you could. Now he um, it, this came about in our we did a systematic theology course at Rio a while back, and Tom taught uh, Tom taught that it was like we used to. It was kind of cool. We did Grudem's systematic theology book, and uh, in that we, he talked about his and he said, I, you know, what he said was, I tend to favor. The framework theory. It speaks to me about God's creating and filling, creating and filling. Oh, totally. Yeah, um, there's no de- – even if you're a literal, you know, six-day, you would you can't deny the framework is there. The structure is just super obvious. And I think it's interesting that it's three days later. Yeah, so no like doubt. He creates this, and then three days later, he fills it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I'm a big fan of, of the fact that, that numbers are there to connect things in our mind. God does things mm-hmm. in a certain time period because he wants us to think about that same time period relating to something else. And so when God does something three days later, he's trying to get through to us that from the very beginning, I bring out, I bring life three days later. It's mm-hmm. like I, I do something and three days later, I bring life to it. Mm-hmm. 
And in this case, it's it's things that rain. So the the light comes three days later. You get the sun, moon, and stars, and they kind they're kind of like they they're controlling the light. You know, right? Uh, you have sky and sea, and three days later come kind of the creatures that rain in those you know the skies and the seas, and then you get the land, and three days later man comes and he reigns over the land. And so the whole idea of what you're talking about with you know third day, that's you know Jesus goes into the tomb three days later he reigns over death you know mm-hmm. he controls it as all of this is teaching these unbelievably awesome um, things and so that's that's framework then you have one and the rest of these are kind of like I'm I'm going to give them to you they're acceptable they're considered orthodox in, in our particular denomination but I think they're a little bit they're on the outskirts not a whole lot of people ascribe to these but you have the people who push for analogical days and so that's saying, you know, well, before the fourth day when the sun is made, you don't even have what is a day. You know, we define days by the sun. And so God's day could be defined differently. And so they say, you know, God works on his own particular type of days, not our days. And so maybe they overlap and maybe they're, you know, crazy long. Uh, you have intermittent days. And what that is saying is, when it says first day, on the first day, these are not sequential. So you have the first day. There could have been a huge expanse of time between day one, but it's saying on the second day of his creative acts, he did this. But it could be time in between, um, in between those days, and so that's called intermittent days. Then you have this one I've never heard before until I started prepping for this podcast – but there's a days of revelation, and so that is saying that as God is revealing the story to Moses, it's you know on the first day that God revealed to Moses what to write in Genesis, he told him this. Mm-hmm. And then on the second day that God talked to Moses, he told him this. And that's – I think that's pretty crazy, but <laughs> – You know, I've heard – I've heard people talk about, too, um, this idea that because the, the scripture says there's evening and there's morning, and that was the first day. Mm-hmm. And uh, there have been people that talked about, well, that's talking about there's light and there's darkness. There's life and there's death. There's chaos and there's order. And they start reading into, you know, this whole thing. And I think that kind of goes into that sort of intermittent day or, or mm. something. You know, I, I again. We, people can get crazy with this stuff. People can get crazy about this. I, I, you know, to. Just kind of come back one more time to say, what do we, you know, what are the things that we would say to you that are important that, that you believe, regardless of how you, it's that God created everything that we have and that he created it out of nothing. That he, he conceived it in his Mm -hmm. mind, he spoke it and it was there. You know, and Mm -hmm. he holds it together by his power. And that's, you know, and there's just miracles all over that. Now, exactly what miracles he did in what order (laughs) on what day and for what reason. I think that the how, like you said this earlier, Sam, the how is not nearly as important as the why. And and next week we will get into the why. And I think you're going to see that that's where it really gets beautiful here. It's just kind of a little it's like odd and sort of interesting and maybe a bit confusing. But the story of creation becomes beautiful when you start Mm -hmm. to look at the why. Yeah. And then you're going to see that from the onset, from the moment God did all this, he's not a mad scientist. He is a God that's looking for relationship and the way that he tells creation, like he has made this for us. All that you see, God has made all the universe um, to sing of his love for us. It's really, really pretty profound. And he's going to embed in the story of creation 
the gospel of hope and the extension of his mercy. And when you start seeing these patterns and how he's made things from the very beginning, he is singing about his story of redeeming us, even from the very beginning. And that's that's profound. Because so forget forget all the how for a moment. That's important, you know. I'm with you on the how. But the why, when you see that God has created the world in such a way that it reveals the magnitude of his love for you, that makes the how look really small yeah. <laughs> next to the why. And yeah. that's what he's doing here. And I do also want to come in one more time with this understanding that, and we talked about this at the beginning, and maybe it's good that we talk about it here near the end, which is that this is not what you should be arguing about or fighting over. Um, you know, the the fact is that People can have a different point of view. We've talked about the fact Sam and I have a different point of view. I tend mm-hmm. to be more of a gap old earth person. Sam's more of a literal 24-hour person. Both of those have questions that aren't answered <laughs> by mm-hmm. those theories. And the thing is, is that here's, here's what you have to focus on, folks. I don't find Sam's opinion offensive. He doesn't find my opinion offensive. We agree that God created and that it was miraculous and that there's things that we can learn from the beauty of the story and, and, and there's just so much there to be wondrous of and to, and to learn from that you just have to learn to not take offense because somebody has, thinks maybe a different thing than you do. In Titus chapter three, verse nine, mm-hmm. where Paul is writing and he says, you know, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. But like you would back in the day, they would take, you know, things that were in the Bible, genealogies, and they would just debate them. Like, well, how do you answer this and this and this? And Jesus finally gets, or Paul here, Finally gets to the point where he's like, don't, don't go there. Stop. Like, don't argue. Don't tear each other down. Don't have quarrels and dissensions over points where there's room, there's margin for different opinions. Like, focus on what is the essential, the non-negotiable, and that's the gospel. Right. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, uh, that it was interesting to you, and that hopefully what you walk away from is this idea that uh, the story of creation is a story of God's wondrous miracle, um, and that uh, that it's something that we should be uh, tolerant toward our differences and, and, and agree on the things that we can say are absolutes, but not... Uh, not to any kind of, as Paul says, to have no doubtful disputations. Let's not, uh, let's not make this the kind of thing that we divide over because I do know that, uh, none of us want to erect any barriers to the gospel. Um, that would be, in my mind, a great tragedy. If you would like to correspond with us on this topic, <clears throat> some of you no doubt will. <laughs> the email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. And it's all one word there, out of water, all run together, because I can't be bothered with punctuation marks or dashes. If you'd like to find all of the back issues of our podcast, you can find those on our website at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or on Spotify. Sam and I will be back next week, and we'll start talking about the whys of creation. We look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.